Welcome, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you probably already know my voice. Hopefully you know my voice by now. I'm Megan McKay and my partner over here is Marta. You can do it. Yaniszewska. Yes! <laughs> Marta has a last name that I've always found hard to say and I just wrote down phonetically how to say it. So I had to look at my notes there. It's, it's different from the original notes that I made. <laughs> you are listening to Who Knew We Didn't. Uh, this is a podcast that explores the world of psychology and its various aspects. Um, so I, uh, to, to let you know, every so often we're going to be doing a series of episodes to explore a particular topic that lets us go a little deeper um, and, and a topic that would have more content than we could usually be able to fit into a single episode. So welcome to our first series. Yeah. yeah, we're discussing the psychology of sense and perception. The sense being our five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste and touch, and how our brain perceives them. And we'll also be wrapping up this series by exploring sense pathology and how our brain operates when it is missing a sense. Uh, now, before we get into the senses that we're going to be talking about today, Marta, tell me a little bit about the difference between sense and perception. Like, is there a difference? I never really thought of there being a difference. I kind of looked at them as synonyms. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're asking because I have this whole section prepped oh, about it. So it's like we thought about it. It's <laughs> like we maybe planned something. Oh my God. Whoa. Uh, okay, so the difference between sensation and perception, uh, as with the way you say it, sensation does actually come first before perception. Um, and if you think of it, we actually have a lot of stimuli around us all the time. So like, um, for example, your clothes are touching your skin. So that's possibly a sensation. Uh, your Or like it's possibly a stimulus, like the pressure of your clothes. You're walking down the street and there's traffic there's people there's yeah noise. there's sights sounds smells tastes if you eat a bug yeah. <laughs> all sorts of things so there's there's a bunch of stuff coming in and that's sensation like it's um how your body physically takes in the stimuli so in the example of sight which i'm going to be covering later on it's like how you're it's how you see the physics or like the mechanics behind it so uh sensation officially it's the process by which we are by which our senses gather if info and send it to the brain so we sense a lot at once and you can't possibly make sense of it all which is a cute little play on words that i didn't even realize i did until now uh and then <laughs> Perception is the way that we interpret our senses. So, uh, you know, all this light is coming in through my eyes, but how do I figure out like this is a person or this is uh, this is a dangerous situation? I should be leaving that sort of thing. So that's perception. How you take those electric impulses from all of your sensory organs and actually turn them into something that makes sense to a human. Uh, and then while we're talking about the difference of sense and perception, I'm going to talk about a few concepts that are constant through all of sense and perception. Mm -hmm. So um, sense is your body is re retreat, uh, is getting some sort of stimulus that it turns into electrical impulses in your brain. So those that whole like conversion of stimulus into electrical impulses, there are a few things that are always true. So there's an absolute threshold and that means that it's the minimum amount of stimulus that you need in order to sense something. So, for example, a sound might be so quiet or like so faint that you can't hear it until you it can reaches. hear it. Yeah. yeah. So you you 
you're always either hearing something or you're not. You can always either see something or you can't. Um, and so here they say that it's noticeable to our senses 50% of the time because it also depends on your disposition, your awareness, like if you're listening for the sound, that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. that's where they put that little caveat 50% of the time. But it's like certain things are too quiet or too soft to feel or whatever. So that's absolute threshold. Um, it's the point at which something becomes perceivable. And then the difference threshold is something that's really interesting. It's the time at which or like the difference it takes in the stimulus to actually feel that there's a difference. So if you are thinking of, you're listening to music, if you turn it up like by a minuscule amount, you might not actually hear that it's louder at all. So at what point, like how much does it need to be increased in order to actually tell that it's louder? Huh. Like if you're holding a one pound weight and somebody adds one pound to it, you will feel that because it's doubled. But if you put a feather on top, yeah. yeah. And it's also interesting because it's not actually like a specific amount. It's not a set amount. It's a logarithmic relationship. So if you're holding 50 pounds and somebody puts one pound on top of it, you might not feel it. Because if you're holding 50 pounds, it's a much smaller percentage mm -hmm. that somebody's putting on top. So you don't feel the difference. Okay. But if you're holding one pound, it's a hundred percent difference if you add another pound on top of it. Okay. So that's something that's really interesting about difference threshold that I just wanted to mention. And the same is true for all. Like, so the pounds is the sense of touch, but anything else like Applied sight. to anything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's two more. I'll get through them really quickly. We have set signal detection theory. So it's where you have a bunch of things coming in, like a bunch of inputs. So you're in a crowded room. There's a bunch of people talking to you. You can actually try to listen to the person or there's a lot of people talking around you. Rather, you can try to listen to the one person. And so you choose to drown out the, the other signals. Yeah. yeah. So you choose to detect only one signal. You, you, you have to pick which sound your brain is going to focus on yeah like how parents can hear their their baby's like slightest mumbling but they might not hear something like a door slam or something uh and then we have sensory adaptation so when a stimulus keeps occurring over and over again like for example the ticking of a clock or the dripping of a faucet we slowly start to tune it out um, That's so funny because my faucet is dripping and I was listening to it and I was like, oh, it's fucking doing it again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's like certain situations you where probably it didn't hear doesn't it. happen. <laughs> but like uh, when we started recording, I noticed that there's like a background sound. Like, I don't know if it's the fan it's or the your, fan. It's your, the your fan fridge. Computer, yeah. yeah. But then like as we continued to record, I didn't hear it anymore. And so the same is true across all of your senses. So if you keep tasting only salty things... Like if your mouth just, like your mouth has a taste, your mouth has a flavor, but you don't think that it has a taste. Your mouth has a flavor? Yeah, I'm pretty, your spit has to have a flavor. That's cool. Yeah. So okay. anyway, yeah, those are the, the constant kind of like theoretical laws of sensation perception. Cool. And that's it. All right. Well then, shall I, shall I dive in? Oh, we shall. Okay. Uh, so today we're going to begin our series with, uh, the sense of sound and then Marta's going to follow up with the sense of sight. Um, so I will, uh, I'm going to get dive into, to sound now. Um, good that we're doing a podcast and talking about sound. Um, I mean, has anything been more meta before uh, in your life? <laughs> 
probably probably <laughs> um anyway sorry guys um your sense of sound is essentially the reception and interpretation of noise or a lack thereof Sound gives us several survival alerts, like danger approaching, uh, uh, things like that. And also how loud the sound will tell us how close we are to the thing that might be dangerous. Um, so the the physical stuff, the, the real sense aspect to sound is basically sound waves are collected by your inner, or pardon me, your external ear, which is then funneled into what is called the tympanic membrane that's your eardrum as a layman's turn and uh, it makes it vibrate now attached to your eardrum is what is called the malleus which is like a little hammer and that transmits the vibration of the noise into the incus which is like a little anvil um, that passes that vibration into the stapes which are like stirrups for your ear i imagined my ear whoa, whoa no. i imagined my ear riding on a on a horse. Uh, <laughs> the staves push, push on what's called the oval window. And the oval window separates the air-filled middle ear from your fluid-filled, pardon me, air-filled middle ear from your fluid-filled inner ear yeah. to pro produce pressure waves in your inner ear. Very hard to say. There's a lot of real technical terminology. This, in it's sound. interesting because it's like physically your ears kind of, like it was one of the easiest things for me to learn. Cause it's just like the stapes is a stirrup, the uh, whatever is an anvil. Like yeah. everything has a has know. like a, a physical comparison. Yeah. yeah. But what's really cool is when waves turn into like electric impulses. Well, hold on. I'm Marta, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. There, I'm sorry. Jesus. I keep. I'm gonna keep doing this. <laughs> I'm a butthead. Um, your your inner ear. It's also called your cochlea, and it's shaped like a snail's shell. And, and this the in the cochlea is where the frequencies of the noise are separated and different frequencies cause different region of the cochlea membrane to vibrate. Now, riding on this membrane are tiny microscopic hair cells and the hair cells convert the mechanical vibration of the noise into electronic signals. See, I said we would get I'm there. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and this excites the 30,000 and some odd fibers of your <laughs> auditory nerve uh, and your auditory nerve then carries the signals to your brainstem. Now, auditory information is analyzed by multiple brain centers as it goes through the auditory uh, pardon me, cortex, uh, and that's the part of the brain that's involved in perceiving sound. Um, that, that, that's a summation, like it's a general summation of how sound physically works. There's a lot more detailed that, uh, things that happen that I'm not going to get into, but that's basically it. It goes in your ear, up through your eardrum through your middle ear into the fluid filled inner ear and through your cochlea and then the hair cells and then through your brainstem and into your brain. You guys can't see this, but Megan just did like hand motions for all of it. And it was fantastic. I, like the cochlea was a little swirl of the finger. It was great. Yeah. You know, sometimes this is the limit of podcasting is that sometimes I'm a hand talker. I'm happy to narrate your hand. <laughs> Good. This is why there's two of us. Um, okay. So one interesting fact I want to mention, sound is processed in different regions of your auditory cortex on both sides of your brain. And for the most part, it's the left side of your brain that is um, how we perceive and produce speech. And damage to the auditory cortex, like 
through a stroke, for example, could leave someone able to hear, but unable to understand language. That's so cool. I thought that was crazy cool. Anyway. That's kind of like vision. We'll get there. We'll get there. I didn't didn't know that, like, I, I didn't realize that hearing also did that. Yeah. Like, there was a special place for speech. Yeah, there is. And it's on the left side. But anyway. Just like plug your left ear when someone's talking to you. (laughs) Or when you're having a stroke. (laughs) Um, Okay. Sound and emotion. So, so, uh, by the way, everything I'm about to say about sound and emotion, it's basically taken from uh, the nature of things. Again, if you listen to our last episode, go Canada. Um, Emotions are often triggered by sounds connected to particular circumstances, like the sound of rain on a rooftop while you're sleepy or bath time uh pardon me bath water running or the shower running um near bedtime or something like that so sound you can think of sound as sort of like touch at a distance um, our brains couple sound and emotional information and they store it as a bun- or they it stores it as a bundle so over time specific sounds will elicit preconditioned emotions so Right now, I want to do a little experiment with Marta. Uh, so if you can bring your laptop over to you and bring up that website that we loaded earlier. Um, I found this little activity through the nature of things, and I thought it was really cool, and it was a, a neat way to sort of experience this link between sound and emotion using ourselves, or in this case, more specifically, Marta, uh, as a test subject. Oh, oh, oh. Holy crow. Okay. I just was a ninja. Yeah, seriously. Also did a really risky move and then screwed it up at the last minute while I was bragging. (laughs) So how I screwed it up is you probably heard my laptop hit the mic, but what a Okay, so so Megan has brought me to this website. I don't know if you want to intro it. Um, The title is Emotions and Sound. So it's basically like how, how do you feel when you hear various sounds so it's a a little interactive quiz Mm -hmm. so marta can get started it's going to play a series of sounds and give her a series of of emotional responses and she has to pick which of those emotional responses she's feeling when she hears that particular sound so you go for it i've uh jacked up the volume on my laptop so hopefully you guys will be able to hear it um and hopefully it doesn't break your ears because then you won't be able to hear the rest. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was going for a pun, but... Didn't work. <laughs> abort, abort. Okay, so I'm clicking. How do you feel? Oh, nothing is... It's not doing anything. Oh, my God. Okay, there she goes. Take a tour through our interactive journey. So... The options for the sound, the baby noise, are happy, broody, annoyed, anxious, or apathetic. I choose anxious. That made you anxious? Yeah. Okay. Most people, 55% of people said happy. Happy. But only 12% of people said anxious. There's also, like, just this disturbing, like, shadow of a baby on screen. Again, this is something I'll probably get to, but, like, sounds when there's an image as well affect how you perceive the sound and that image so i think it's a bit of a cheat like they shouldn't have that's my critique of this does this mean i'm broken that like baby sounds make me anxious no it's a it's like an embryo it's not even a baby it's not like a cute baby like it looks like like a the picture the picture that's associated with it looks like an embryo and it that i understand making you anxious if it was one of those like sunflower babies if it was an angetti's baby i think you might have said happy (laughs) 
Okay, I'm clicking next sound. So now we have a thunderstorm. Now, Marta, does this make you feel relaxed, anxious, romantic, annoyed, or sad? Relaxed. Yeah. I love me a good thunderstorm. Hell yeah. So uh, apparently so do most other people who took this quiz. 57% of people said they felt relaxed when they heard that. And the others were, were fairly even. Most people, though, they relax. Why do you think that is? I don't know. All I can tell you is that it's very, I can tell you a memory I have of that sound that I think of and it makes me feel very peaceful. When I was a kid, I was afraid of thunderstorms or like not really afraid, but maybe kind of nervous, made me a little anxious. And uh, my dad, he, fucking wind chimes ruining my story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My dad, uh, do you want me to keep going with that? You can keep going with it. Okay. My dad uh, wanted to help me, basically. And there was one evening, there was a thunderstorm. And we have a a front porch that has a bit of a roof. And he always sits out there and smokes. And so he was sitting out there smoking. And he made me go sit outside with him, even though I was kind of uncomfortable by it. And we just sat and had a normal conversation for like two hours while this thunderstorm happened. And he just sort of like sat and talked to me and sat and talked to me that's so sweet yeah it was it was really nice and we sort of talked about rain and we talked about thunder and he told me about what thunder is and like we talked about the smell and we talked about just random things we talked about our days like we just talked about anything and in the end I felt really calm and now I always feel calm when it rains nice um yeah I got a good dad so so that fucking chime sound (laughs) yeah that chime sound that interrupted uh annoyed relaxed cheerful restless inspired um i'm gonna just take on what megan projected and say annoyed (laughs) it did annoy me uh and i'm gonna assume that it was a really high percentage but we are getting fed up with this website. I'm sorry. I will. No, it worked fine. So we recorded this once already. Yeah. And as it we worked. said, this is a do over. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we said it in this episode yet, but we said it in our last one. Yeah. We had to, we did record a couple episodes and mess them up a little bit in the recording. So we are re-recording this and it worked the first time really well. Maybe we're destined to at least one technical fuck up per episode. So this I is our technical that. fuck up. Yeah. Anyway, the most people are annoyed by those chimes as well. They yes. were, they were aggressive. If they had been those bamboo wooden chimes, I would have probably been relaxed oh, by yeah. that sound. But the, they kind of sound like wood instruments. As yeah, well. yeah, exactly. Or like, yeah, it's a it that's a peaceful sound. But the metal chimes, I'm especially because they were clanging frequently. Yeah, they clang. Yeah. Clang is not. Um, anyways, so I thought that was a cool little experiment. For the most part, those sounds, with the exception of those bitchy chimes, they were fairly pleasant sounds. Um, But I do want to mention that exposure to some sounds can cause very severe negative reactions as well. So like sound can induce panic, rage, um, withdrawal, and it all really depends on on the listener. Um, There's a term called misphonia, which is the hatred of sounds, like nails on a chalkboard. I know a little bit about this. Yes, uh, (laughs) slurping, a slurping sound of uh, 
slurping soup. And I, she says as Marta is sipping coffee. That sound right there probably was really grating for a lot of you. Um, mouth noises are, are pretty annoying to uh, a lot of people. Uh, Marta hates mouth noises. Okay, just in here, I'm going to interject because I always do. I'm sorry. Uh, my, f- Okay, you know when like somebody comments on something on Facebook but and they like link your friend on it and both of these people are your friends so it pops up on your feed Mm -hmm. so one of my friends linked my other friend in like tag tag a friend who hates mouth noises and it's literally this woman eating some kind of like Chinese takeout and she's eating it like as terribly as possible and it's just a video of her talking and like just mowing hard and it's i'm fine being around people who eat but like there's certain mouth noises anyway it appeared on my feed i totally agree oh anyway when i was a kid i slept over at my friend's house and she had three little brothers and we were eating cereal together the next day and i was always raised to chew with your mouth closed like dinner time at my house was an exercise in the best manners that you could possibly have you're not a farm animal well, oddly enough, I was raised on a farm, but yeah, it was like my parents were really, they didn't want to be the one with the kids who made awful noises or like had poor manners. So Trust like me. I know, I literally agree. every single <laughs> dinner time was lessons in manners. Um, never allowed to chew with your mouth open. No. And I went to her house and we were all sitting down for breakfast and all of her little brothers were slurping up their cereal and chewing with their mouth open. And I was sitting there looking at all of them like, you are fucking animals. This is insane. And I was like, I wanted to be like, seriously, your mom never told you not to do that like you guys are like seven we're not talking about a three-year-old who's just you learning how to use a utensil we're talking about like grown children who eat lunch by themselves at school like in in grade school I was friends with a girl who would always chew her gum with her mouth open awful and I was like what the fuck like no you don't get the permission to eat gum and then she's like oh there's just too much flavor so my mouth has to be open I was like is it seeping out of your lips like I'm sorry (laughs) Anyway, this is something... Misphonia. <laughs> misphonia, misphonia, misphonia. In our last episode, we mentioned how Megan's really reliable. I'm reliably hating people who make mouth make noises. Make mouth noises, really. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a thing. So, unfortunately, Marta, uh, treating misphonia basically lies with the person who is annoyed by mm-hmm. the sound. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can do nope. about it. Like, basically, you have to learn a coping mechanism for these sounds. Murder. Murder. <laughs> Murder is the coping mechanism, according to Marta. Um, now, a really interesting fact. Uh, nails on a chalkboard. I want to go back to that because it is pretty universal. Almost everyone I've talked to hates that sound. Um, the reason it is universally hated is because of the frequency for that particular noise. So the the frequency of nails on a chalkboard uh, falls between 2,000 and 4,000 hertz. And our ears are most sensitive to sounds in that frequency hmm. and that's true for a lot of other very obnoxious sounds like uh like utensils scraping on your plate um, and experts think that the human ear developed a sensitivity to that frequency for an evolutionary purpose oh keep going yes. this <laughs> this is the same frequency range as the sound of a human scream Hurrah! It's such a cool fact. I know. It's so good. I thought it was awesome. And it makes you think of like uh, the psycho sound, like hor- sound in horror movies in general, basically. Reek, but reek, yeah, reek. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. And it just makes you so, so uncomfortable. Like and you can and feel fearful. it in your spine. Oh, yeah. Sent chills up my back. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so, so there are, in general, four ways that sound affects us. And uh, what I'm about to say, by the way, I've taken from a very cool TED Talk by, the, by a man named Julian Treasure. Uh, so if you have a chance to check it out, it's only about five minutes, but it was really, really cool. Treasure. Yeah, right on. There you go. Um, So the first way that sound affects us is physiological. Sound affects hormone secretions all the time. It also affects our breathing, our heart rate, brain waves, um, both for unpleasant and pleasant reasons. So an unpleasant example would be like alarms will trigger our fight or flight response. Mine's definitely flight. (laughs) Um, But a pleasant would be like ocean waves causes like relaxation and de-stressing and things like that. Um, Now, the next way that sound affects us is psychological. So for example, music is the most powerful sound for affecting our emotional state. It can make you happy, sad, um, uh, angry, afraid, like just... Yeah, (laughs) this is also true for a lot of environmental sounds. So for example, birdsong is generally speaking, a very reassuring sound for humans. And this is evolutionary as well. When birds are singing, we're safe. When birds stop singing, that's a sign of a potential danger. Um, That's true for weather, predators, like anything like that. If, If the birds stop singing, we tense up. Anytime you link in any kind of ev psych, like evolutionary You're psych, into it. I oh yeah, I'm all over it. Yeah, wait on rice. <laughs> the third way that sound affects us is cognitive. Our brains have a very small bandwidth for auditory inputs, and we already touched on this a little bit earlier in the episode. But when two people are talking at the same time, your brain has to choose who to listen to. Um, so this is actually why open plan offices actually lead to a reduction in employee productivity. So open plan offices are said to be up to a third less productive, or sorry, a third as productive as other offices. So two thirds less productive than there's other some, offices. There's some third ratios in there's there. There's some third ratios in there and for sure. And a decrease in productivity. Gotcha. Absolutely, hands down. I'm on board. Yeah, uh, we physically have trouble concentrating when we're receiving a lot of auditory inputs. And I suspect that this is the same reason why people need to turn down the radio while they're driving so that they can see better. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm parking, I, ha- I always turn down the radio when I park. I'm like, I, I like, need to see better with my ears. <laughs> absolutely. I, Taylor gets very annoyed with me because um, whenever we're driving together, he wants to play music really loud, but he also wants to hang out and talk to me. And I'm like, dude, we can't One do this right other. now. Actually, both of those things need to be turned down because <laughs> I'm trying to concentrate. <laughs> I like to have music and Calvin likes to talk. And I'm like, I need you to shut up for three minutes and 56 seconds, please. <laughs> um, yeah, basically our brain, we can't sort out all of the information. We become distracted so easily. It has to choose what we're going to focus on. And the final way that sound affects us is behavioral. So basically, we move away from unpleasant sounds like obnoxious music will make me leave a store or walking down the street and there's construction and jackhammers and stuff like that. You're going to leave that area as fastly as fastly fastly as you can. I mean, words are relative. Words are only words. (laughs) We move towards sounds that we find pleasant. Um, Sound affects our behavior in other ways as well, like uh, if you're driving while listening to really fast dance music or something like that, you can lead to driving at higher speeds than you would if you were listening to, say, classical music or um, 
a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So um, freaking cool. Yeah. Isn't that really neat? It was a really cool TED Talk. And honestly, um, I, I do recommend it. One last thing that Treasure said in his TED Talk that I thought was just really sweet. Um, and I'm going to share this little joke with you. He says at the end that he recommends five minutes of birdsong a day to everyone, but there is no daily maximum. Oh, isn't that really cute? I, it was a, it was his conclusion. And I was like, dude, that was a good TED talk. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> TED talks in general. I just love them. They're so inspiring. Yeah, they are. They really are. This one was very cool. But also, I think I'd get annoyed by somebody who's like, oh, I need my five minutes of bird song per day. Well, it makes me think, though, like um, I told you, I, I, I don't live in Toronto, but we do work in Toronto. And so um, I had to drive into work for the first time uh, a few weeks ago. And I was really tense the entire time. It was just it was so chaotic. Uh, there was so much going on and, and a lot of detours it was just it was hell I hated it um but maybe the next time I have to drive to Toronto I should just load up some bird song (laughs) you know what helps me chill and like clear my mind jazz yeah oh totally yeah absolutely um although sometimes it's very confusing sounding I agree with you jazz is jazz is sometimes pretty overwhelming um especially if it's like like more interpretive experimental jazz um taylor's a huge jazz buff and if you want jazz jazz. recommendations you should hit him up but i will say right now if you want like cool jazz that's not super like uh it's very technical but it's not overwhelming is yellow jackets and uh another i really really enjoy this it's more um fun and I have a hard time not moving to it so I really like it a lot. Oh she's moving now. Yeah I can't I'm thinking about it and I'm just like oh yeah. Um, Snarky Puppy. Oh yeah you told me about them before. You can't sit still to that shit it's so good. I heard them I was listening to Jazz FM and and you heard Snarky Puppy? Yeah and I was like whoa I didn't realize that this is the type of music that it was and I love it. They they work with a few drummers but they're their one drummer my favorite drummer is Larnell Lewis and he's from Toronto oh nice nice um lots of Canadian pride oh yeah all about Canada um so that's basically what I have for sound sound is um quite something uh another connection to psychology is music therapy I don't really want to get into it because it'll probably make that I go on for even longer um but we can uh, have an episode about it yeah we maybe actually should have an episode about music therapy because it is a fascinating subject and yeah. it's I, I do have a lot of anecdotal information for that one as well so um maybe stay tuned for that and uh, otherwise that sound y'all <laughs> Uh, so next up, as we mentioned in our intro, is we're also going to be talking about sight. So that's my topic today. Um, and you already know that a lot to do with sight is about light, partially because they rhyme and whoever made the words is sight like... Sight and light? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all because they rhyme. But anyway, uh, my jokes are terrible today. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Uh, some people <laughs> some people say that they're always terrible, but I don't believe them. Anyway, so there are different types of light across the spectrum. So like as you know that there's ultraviolet, there's um, there's white light, there's colored light, whatever. And the different types of light um, are actually perceived differently by our uh, receptors in our eyes. So um, I have some scientific words. So how we see... <laughs> How we see these, this light depends on wavelength and frequency. And wavelength and frequency determines the color. 
So like if it's a shorter wavelength or if it's, uh, if the waves are more frequent, it's a certain color. If it's a longer wavelength, it's a different color. And then the amplitude of those waves. So like how tall the waves are, that's brightness. So when you see like a fluorescent traffic cone versus like a muted orange, the amplitude is different on those two colors. I see, I see. So that's something that's really interesting. And those colors, like depending on their depending on their physical properties, they trigger different areas, different parts of our eyes. And so the theory of how we perceive color is based on rods and the rods and cones in or how we perceive basically all sight is the rods and cones along the inside back of your eye so light comes in through your eye somewhere along there it meets your retina your lens your cornea all of that fun stuff I didn't write it down so all of those words are jumbled she's also doing hand gestures though everybody she like me apparently is a hand talker when it comes to <laughs> oh I totally sight. am sight. I, I totally am um, I get made fun of for being a hand talker when I'm on the phone too. And I'm always, I, I'm a, we're expressive people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Maybe we should have a channel and a YouTube channel instead, but then we'd just be like <laughs> sitting, waving our arms and whatever. Anyway. Um, so, so you have, again, rods and cones. Cones are more concentrated to the center of the back of your eye and rods are towards the sides of your eyes and cones are what you perceive color with and rods are just any light, but it's black and white. So they're not color. So all rods are the same. Um, all of your rods, like you just have one type of rod, but you have three types of cones. Mm. So there's three for each color. If you have an issue, what like a developmental issue where you're uh, missing one of the types of cones. Is that colorblindness? It's partial colorblindness. So it's like dichromia or something like that. And then you can have complete colorblindness where you just see one color for your world or whatever wow yeah and so that's where you just have one type of cone um and then there's like we'll probably get into this in the pathology episode but there's like when your those neurons are degrading you start to lose your sight some people get like blind right in the center of their vision but they can see everything around that's because their cones are Hmm. yeah like i don't know they're self-destructing i can't remember the science behind it but it's like really cool and it also um Colorblindness, did you know that it's linked to a gender? I did know that. Men are more prone to colorblindness yeah, than women. Yeah, because the chromosome that determines colorblindness is gender-linked. Huh. Yeah, so women get fucked over for a lot of health things, but <laughs> men can't Y'all see Y'all can't much. see green and red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's really interesting. Uh, also, something about the way that rods and cones are organized in your eye. Uh, cones, again, are more into the center of your eye and rods are more to the side. So, And rods are more light sensitive. Hmm. So they have a lower threshold. Yeah, mm. so you need less brightness in order for your rods to be activated. You need more brightness for your cones to be activated. So if the lighting is dim enough, everybody's colorblind. Wow. Because your cones aren't being activated. Well, that makes total sense. Like when you're driving at night or something like that, you don't necessarily see the color of the things that are around you. You know what's around you and you know what color they are, but that's not necessarily what you're seeing. Yeah. And except for, for the signs that light up <laughs> that yeah. are very bright. And for any listeners out there that are like, no, screw you, Marta, I can see color. You're wrong. <laughs> And it's uh, just you're wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. (laughs) It's your your brain. It's the idea of constancy. So your brain 
isn't thinking like, oh, this shirt is a different color now, or like I'm, the signals I'm receiving are a different color, so it's a different shirt. Your brain says, oh, I know this shirt is green, so I will just assume that it's green, even though I can't see the color green right now. Wow. Because it's so dim. Yeah, so your brain tricks you. Do you remember, you must remember, because it was huge everywhere, that dress. Yeah, the, is, this, is it is it, what is it blue and blue and black or green gold and, and gold yeah, or something I don't know. like that? Well, we're not explaining it properly, but yeah, it was it's and it's based on the other color cues in the picture because your eyes are like, should I be adjusting for how washed out the rest of this picture is or should I take the picture at the colors that are coming into me? There's a very cool uh, show on Netflix that I'm going to I don't remember the name of it flat out, Um, but it was about (laughs) that's a great recommendation. It's like mind teasers or brain games or something like that. And um, I only watched the first episode. And to be honest, I didn't even watch the whole episode because I was doing a million things and you have to sit and watch it. Tell me more about how you love this show that you've watched. It was just a... This is Sorry. the worst recommendation that's ever been made. And um, to say that, I sat like a dick in my chair. You did, and I was yeah. Like, you like, tell me more. leaned right I'm back sorry. into that. I'm um, sorry. No, it's okay. It was just, a, it was a, they did a lot of, it was all about color and sight and things like that. And so like showing you um, a picture colorized and then changing it to black and white and yes. your brain sees the colors. Yeah. It keeps seeing the colors. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And it's totally what your brain does to you in real life too, which is just so cool. So yeah. many optical illusions are honestly only formed because of how our brain processes what we're seeing but i will get into that i am sorry interrupting myself here so or i'm like what is it um spoiling uh, spoiler alerting myself you spoil your own alert <laughs> i don't know is, sorry wow i really need to stop trying to joke here yeah it's not working my jokes are bad today too <laughs> don't don't worry. So as your rods and cones activate because of the light that's coming in, uh, behind them there are bipolar cells and then behind them still are ganglion cells. Once it goes through your ganglion cells, it goes through your optic nerve. Did you say bipolar cells? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, And they're bipolar cells because they're either activated or not activated. There's no like... No in between. Yeah. So half on, half off. Exactly. So if your cone isn't getting enough like stimulus... She's off. Yeah, the bipolar cell. That's like basically what determines your absolute threshold, that bipolar cell. Wow. Yeah. Um, What's really cool is that as it goes through your optic nerve and it goes to the different places in your brain where it needs to be, you actually have feature detectors. So there are areas in the brain that are meant to recognize certain things. Um, And they go to like you'll see one you're getting one image into your eye but it actually gets sent to like many different places so it's parallel processing like your brain is actually a quantum computer because it's thinking of it's processing four different things at once and that's form depth motion and color all at once so Mm. there's four different areas of your brain activated while you're seeing which is really cool um and just like with sound where you're processing Uh, speech in a certain area of your brain same thing there's an area in your brain responsible specifically for recognizing faces and there's an area of your brain responsible for recognizing boxes and straight lines and yeah boxes well straight lines or like right angles box this is (laughs) present (laughs) well i more meant like the two-dimensional idea of a box like a square i know okay well Anyway, so that's the that's the sensation of um, of sight, and the perception 
is while you're perceiving these signals, like while your brain is processing all these little like dots of activation, it there are various concepts at play. So the first is the Gestalt principle. I wasn't ready for that word. <laughs> um, and it's the principle of grouping. So based on what you're seeing, your mind makes assumptions as to which things belong together. Because we don't actually, like, because our rods and cones they don't cover our entire the entire back of our eye it's kind of like little dots of information you don't see an image Hmm. so your brain actually like fills in the gaps between those dots of perception so i'm looking at your microphone stand right now it's actually as a sensation it's coming in as like a bunch of clustered black dots but as a perception it's one unit it's one microphone stand yeah which is kind of interesting so we group things based on similarity based on proximity and we also tend to um we we tend to group things based on continuity so if we see a bunch of dots like placed in an x pattern we're just going to say that's an x um so you know like recaptchas or yes yeah they show you things like in dot patterns and they're like what letter is this or whatever so that's a human thing to be able to close those or like a non-computer thing yeah yeah uh and closure so we close symbols that are familiar to us that have gaps uh perceptual constancy is another uh concept at play when we're looking at things so if you're looking at like a horse running through a field as it runs if you think of like a frame per frame by frame as it's moving it's a different image every single time that's like the most famous i think um, like early moving picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny that that's the example you brought up. Yeah, so I think it's, uh, I think it's like subconsciously ingrained in you. Yeah. yeah. So e- as it's moving, each like split second or whatever, each frame that your brain can process, because it also doesn't process images continuously. It's like, it's not like a video reel. It takes like pictures kind of. Mm-hmm. So as it's moving, it's kind of like you're getting a brand new image each time you're looking at a brand new situation each time and so your brain takes care of that by saying like no it's not possible that that horse suddenly turned into another animal it is still the horse or whatever so like when your shirt is now black because you're looking at it in dim lighting but you were on the beach earlier and it was a dark navy because you were in bright sunlight your brain's not like oh this is a different shirt what is this like foreign shirt there's (laughs) (laughs) there's the there's perceptual constancy so your brain knows like don't freak out like keep calm and perceive on is that why this happens to me a lot i i do freak out my brain does panic when i catch something out of the corner of my eye or something like that where i'm like oh my god like i thought that tree was a person or like i thought something that was just totally not there maybe i don't know if they're directly related no, it happens happens to me all the time. But I uh, literally was driving and was like, "Oh my god!" Oh, you freak out. That yeah, trees. That's that's a tree. That's not a person. Yeah, maybe maybe it's because your brain doesn't By have. By the way, don't hit it. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> ten points. Uh, it, it, maybe it's because your brain doesn't have like the. Pro- it's not dedicating any processing power to it, so it's not like, oh, that's just a tree, or like that's the same thing I thought it was. Instead, it's like, oh wow, new stimulus, freak out. Like maybe. Yeah, maybe. Huh. But I actually don't. I'm not sure. You I don't, don't have an answer for, for you. It's okay. Um. 
Yeah, so your brain understands that different things must be constant. Another example of this is if you're looking at a plate from bird's eye view, it's just a perfectly round plate, whatever, it could be round or whatever. But if you're looking at it from the side or from like the side of it, it's an oval or even just like a thin line. And your brain knows that like you've moved or your perception of it has moved, but it's still a plate. Yeah. And like you understand that the object like is rectangular is 3d even though you're getting a 2d image which is really cool yeah um next up we also have the concept concepts of like how we perceive distance and how we perceive uh other things around us so distance is something that's really complex and we require a lot of assumptions in order to judge distance because again our the images that we get are actually just 2d and we need to infer 3d information oh. from what we see so there's monocular cues so like single eye cues um and that's the things that we uh, the things that artists use for example to signify distance so if something's far away you make it smaller if something's close up you make it bigger um there's texture so something like a building appears smoother the further away it is mm -hmm. and it appears more rough as mm -hmm. it's closer um overlap so if things are overlapping each other, they're more likely to be closer. If you can see the full image, it's more likely to be further. Right. Same shading, height, so it's proximity to your horizon, um, clarity, converging lines, that sort of thing. So like if you're looking at a railroad track, it looks like in the distance, the two lines meet. And so that's how you determine That's depth. certainly how you draw yeah, distance. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So that's that's something that was interesting and uh explained to me why I can't draw because I just can't put those like if I'm drawing railroad tracks, I'm not gonna converge the lines. I'm just drawing it straight and then it just looks like there's You know how you do it. How? You put a dot somewhere on oh, the page. Anywhere yeah. on the and page. And you draw you everything want. slanting and you, you, towards that it. dot becomes your depth of field. Everything that you draw, every straight line that you draw, um, depending on which like if you're trying to create vertical depth and you put the dot at the bottom, every vertical line that you put into, like draw into your image must meet that oh. dot. And if you're trying to create like a, a horizon and like distance out into the horizon, every horizontal line must go towards that dot. And if you just do that, you will have created depth of field in your image that's so cool yeah I was blown away and we uh, I I don't know that I still am but I was once very artistic ah. and um I haven't really practiced it in quite a while but um I was I drew all the time and I did a lot of painting and a lot of anything artistic I was really into I feel um, like I have an artistic soul but like no talent whatsoever <laughs> so well I think talent when it comes to art is pretty subjective but whatever yeah. um but yeah in uh grade seven or eight maybe grade eight was when we learned depth of field was when we learned how to do it and it totally blew my mind and it was really cool like 30 kids in a class all had to pick like a cityscape and we all had to draw That's a so cityscape cool. in this using this concept and then at the end of all of it they hung like all of our pictures in oh, this one awesome. display board and it was so so cool to look at like all of these different versions of this cityscape and yeah. it was all so much more realistic than anything any of us have ever created before. before it was it was really neat that's so awesome yeah. i'm definitely gonna try that cool teacher next time i'm doodling mrs allen <laughs> shout out to mrs allen Sa shout out to mrs allen <laughs> 
Um, and then just to quickly tie this up, there are binocular cues as well. So people who have vision impairments or one eye is weaker than the other or they're blind in one eye or whatever, they're robbed of binocular cues, which we actually use quite heavily um, in order to determine distance. So there's two main binocular cues. There's convergence. So the closer the object is to us, the more our eyes need to turn in to see it. So listeners, if you hold your finger out at arm's length, your eyes aren't converging much. But if you bring it all the way really close to your face, then you'll f- your eyes, if you're focusing on it, your eyes actually like go closer together. Megan is nodding silently. Into I'm the mic. doing it. I'm doing it as you can't see me again. You can't see me. Um, <laughs> I'm doing this exercise as she's. Yeah. And something else that you can also do with the finger closer to the eye um, or closer to your face is look for retinal disparity. So if you hold your finger really far out and have your only your right eye open and then quickly switch to your left eye, you'll notice that the image that your eyes or and, and then keep switching back and forth. You'll notice <laughs> that the image that you get from one to the other is actually different. So like it looks like your eye is mo- or your finger it is looks moving. Like your finger is moving. Yeah, but it's not. But when something's closer, you have less disparity. So I'm not close enough. Wait, hold on. My my finger. Wait, no, no, still it's moving. the opposite. It's the opposite, I think. Yes, it's the opposite. So if something's really far away, I just looked at the plant on the window. Oh yeah. There, we, I just explained the whole concept wrong because I was trying to explain the exercise too. But you were also doing the exercise was. at the same time. It was a lot of stimuli. <laughs> there was a lot of hand waving, which normally I can handle, but handle hand uh-huh. waving. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So if the if the image is really really different between your two eyes, that means that it's closer to you. If the image is pretty much the same between the two eyes, it means it's further away from you. It's not something that you ever really perceive, but it's something that like your stimulus changes the way that you perceive kind of like behind the scenes and you don't even know it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some really fun illusions. If you guys have the time, if you want to look at them on your own, I can't really do the exercise here because you obviously again, cannot see us. So one of the illusions that you can take a look at is called the Ponzo illusion. And it's a rail, it's a picture of a railroad track with the lines converging as it gets further apart. And they draw two yellow lines along the railroad track. Um, and one is like further up the railroad track and one is further down. And the yellow lines themselves are actually the same length, but because of how your eye is- Because of where they are. Yeah, oh. yeah, because of where they are along the railroad. That's tricky. Yeah, it looks this like it's totally taking up more. This is totally what that Netflix show was about, by yeah. the way. Just watch this Netflix show, Op- you'll, you'll see it all. Optical illusions are really only your brain just getting it wrong. Like your brain just screwing up with their pre- with its preconceived notions. Um, and then there's also the Ames room where one side of the room is actually a lot bigger than the other side of the room. But because it's um, because of the way that it's oriented, your brain is un- misunderstanding the cues. So if you're looking at the room from far away and nobody's in it, it looks like everything's the same. But if you're if you put two people like one person in one corner and one person in the other corner, it looks like one person's a giant and one person's a midget. But that's just because your optical like your depth perception cues are getting messed with. Um, There's a very cool I'm just going to tell you about it really quickly. There was a really cool optical illusion that I saw on the Internet the other day. Uh, School was trying to stop their students from running down this one hallway. And so they painted they painted like a black and white checker 
floor on the bottom of it, but they like created the illusion that the floor was moving up and down. Yeah, there was like a wave going through the floor. So like, even though the floor was flat, and even though everyone knew the floor was flat, when you came around the corner, your brain literally stopped you, like physically stopped you from running because you, it confused you. I also just like love tricking kids. Hell yeah, I love (laughs) tricking kids. They're easy to pull one over on. Um, And so over on pull is that I think that was right. That's right. Uh, So that's everything for me. Well, that's first sight. We've learned a lot today. Um, I have to say it's crazy how the physical and mechanical aspects of sound and sight create these kinds of perceptions in humans. I agree. (laughs) It's almost like I wrote that sentence. (laughs) Um, And it's crazy how relevant that is to day to day life. Like since researching this, I've been I don't know if maybe it's that I've been looking for this or if. I've just been like more attuned to it. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been paying attention to or seeing how the, these physical stimuli, how I, how I bring them in and how that ends up affecting my mood or how I think or how I feel or what my behavior is in terms of what's around me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Well, um, um I guess that's it for for sight and for sound. Um, our next episode, uh, like I mentioned, it's, it's, it's a series. Next, we're going to be talking about smell and taste. And then we're going to wrap up this series with a final third episode exploring the sense of touch and also sense pathology, which is how our brain operates when one or more of our senses is missing. So Thank you all very much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed hearing about all of this as much as we enjoyed learning about it. This one was a really cool one. I'm excited to do more episodes kind of like this because this is just, this was really neat. Um, Stay tuned, I guess, for Sense and Perception in episode two. Yeah, and if you guys want to reach out to us, we now have an official email. We do. We have an email address. It's who knew we didn't at gmail.com. Uh, if you guys want to write us an email, tell us that we were wrong or fantastically right about something. Or if you have, like, I feel like I said a couple of things that I was like, I don't know about that. Like that. Uh, oh, yeah. The I thing say? that you asked me about whether. Oh, when I catch something in the corner of my eye. Yes. And And whether that's related to a tree and I thought it was a human. And if, yeah, if you know the answer to that, guys, let us know. Let us know. Yeah. I'd be interested to learn that too. Yeah. Okay. So that's it. Have a good day. All right. Bye. (laughs) Keep calm and perceive on.